Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Hey, everybody. Where are you? Oh, there you are. Awesome. So good to see you this morning. You know, I shared with our production team, I said, you know what? We're in a smaller room, like a much smaller room. I don't want to feel like I'm alone in a smaller room. So we put the house lights on this morning so um, I can see everything you're doing or not doing. And uh, we continue to say BYOB, bring your own Bible, BYON, bring your own notebook. Um, Studies show that people who take notes during a sermon are five times more likely to go to heaven. Um, Thank you for laughing. That was a joke. Um, And so... um, but I encourage you to just take some notes. We're going to have some fun together today. And uh, it, it is going to be a little bit different of a message. Um, and so I do encourage you to take some notes. And we asked the Holy Spirit to show up today. How many believe he's going to? In fact, I think I hear him right now. You hear those pads? Another joke. Thank you for laughing with me this morning. I'll be here all, actually, I won't be here all week. This is it. Uh, another joke. Not really. Have fun. It's the 1130, man. I'm loosened up. I'm ready to go. Um, no, we're going to have some pads and stuff going on. We learned a few things, a few sermons in, so uh, we're going to just kind of keep our attention here. And anytime you hear clapping, applauding, or music, feel free to chair dance and, and uh, any of that. They're just clapping for you, everybody. Uh, we're going to have a good time together. If you could just bring down my mic a little bit, Jackie, uh, that way I can start yelling at everybody and not feel like it's going to feed back into the house. Thank you. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to start this series today. I have my doubts. And um, I want to start by offending you, if that's okay. I mean, you're at church anyway. You probably suppose you're going to get offended, so let's just start there. And so here's my statement. I have the truth. How dare I, in this culture, in this day and age, seriously, think about that. This really is a very offensive statement to make in our society, right? To say, I have the truth. Truth. Now, what's funny in our house is we have a little debate going on about the word the. What is it? Nate says the or the. We're always going back and forth, and he'll tell me, look, it's the, it's the. And so I'm already offending you on multiple levels if you think I have the truth. And, but whatever you want to say and however you want to say it, this phrase, I have the truth, is very arrogant. This is just how, it, how it's labeled. It's, it's intolerant. It is narrow-minded. It really is received with a how dare you make that claim that you have the truth when there are billions of people in this world from all different backgrounds, all different ways of life, and there are thousands of major religions, not to mention all the branches and minor religions, to say I have the truth is a very offensive statement. And so what is the accepted position of society then? If it's not I have the truth, How can we sum up society? And I think this word best sums it up. It's a big word. That's why I encourage you to write down some things today. It's this, inclusivism. Inclusivism really sums up society's stance on truth. It's the idea that no one has a lock on the truth. It's all inclusive. We make allowance for everybody to believe what's true for themselves. If it's true for me, it's true for me, and you can't tell me otherwise. While atheism says that all religions are false, inclusivism says that all religions are true. That's the heart of inclusivism. Everything is true. Everything is right. You don't get the right to say your way is the way because how can you possibly know? And so to not offend anybody, we will just set the bar right here and we'll say Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism— 
moralism, secularism, whatever ism you want to put there is equally right and equally true. Now, I'm going to give you a few quotes from some people you might know that I think best summarize this belief. Mahatma Gandhi said, my position is that all great religions are fundamentally, say this word with me, equal. Okay, so he looks out and says, you know, my belief, again, he's already asserting his own worldview there, but my belief is that all beliefs are equal. None is greater than the other. A great theologian, Oprah Winfrey, said, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, there are, say these three words, many diverse paths leading to God. Doesn't that, I told you, you're going to want to do this the whole service, everybody. Doesn't that sound good and palatable and right? Come on, there can't just be one way to God. And whether you call your God God or Jehovah or Allah, it's all essentially the same thing because it's all equal. And any path will get you there. You get a path. You get a path. You get a path. Just whatever you want. It's just, it all leads there. Okay, so take all of that. And, and I think that what we're doing is we're really setting up culture's narrative. Take all of that and enters Jesus. And Jesus makes this statement. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father or to come to God except through me. Okay, so I don't know what your worldview is today. And if you're skeptical about Christianity, and if this was one of the checkboxes for you on the doubts, I cannot say this enough. Thank you for being here today because it takes a lot to come into a Christian environment and now you're going to hear what we believe if you're a follower of Christ and say, yeah, but that's exactly why I have a hang-up. Something like that. Why, why can't the founder of this belief system be a little more inclusive? Why can't it say, I have a way? I have a truth. Jesus doesn't even say have or a. He says, I am like it, he's like, it's me. Like, I am the truth. Okay, so this is setting up for us the reason why people will look at Christianity and say Christianity is exclusive. In other words, it doesn't play nice with other beliefs, and it's absolute. Its truths are not relative to our perspective. It's just truth. Not because of something that's taught, but because of someone who is. He doesn't say I'm teaching the truth. He says, I am the truth. Okay, so... I share with you that over 70% of our responses to our doubt survey fell into these two categories, exclusivity or absolutism, which is great because for me, it was like, well, I know where we're starting. And it's awesome. So we're going to talk about this today. And if you didn't get to play along with our survey last week, you can still play with us. You can text the word doubt to 97,000. You can do it now or you can do it later, or do it at any point in the week. And it will just ask you an anonymous survey will come back. And I really mean that. We don't know who said what. And it just check off two out of the six. Do you say these are two of the hangups I have with Christianity? So we're going to talk about these words today. Exclusivity and absolutism. Now I'm going to give you the textbook definitions and then I'm going to give you the layman's definition. Who was layman, by the way? Does anyone know the history? I don't know. I just, I'm going to give you the smart answers and then the simple answers for this, all right? So I know you're doing a lot of writing and you're probably wondering, um, Pastor Keith, church, are we going to use the Bible today? Yes, we are. We're going to get there. We're going to be in Acts, if you have your Bible, the fifth book in the New Testament. 
but I want to just set all of us up so we have some working definitions for this moment. So exclusivity, the inability to exist or be true if something else exists or is true. So in other words, if something is exclusive in that if this is true, that can't be true. A cannot be true if B is true. Either or. Either A is true or B is true, but A don't play nice with B. They don't play nice together. They're exclusive. They're not mutual. And the other word, absolutism, is the acceptance of or belief in absolute principles, specifically for us theological matters. In other words, matters relating to God. So that really pushes against relative truth, which says, hold on, it's my truth. It's my right to form my truth about this topic, about heaven, about hell, about God, about meaning, about existence, about creation. I get to choose what's true, and you can't tell me I'm not right. That's relative truth. Christianity is claiming exclusivity. In other words, if Jesus is true, then nothing else can be equally true, and it's absolute. If Jesus is the truth, his principles for our lives are the guiding principles. We don't get to just open up and cherry pick and say, well, I kind of like that part, but the thing about marriage, and the thing about family values, and the thing about forgiveness of those who hurt me, I'm going to just adapt that to culture and, and kind of explore and mesh it together. That's why Christianity would be labeled exclusive and absolute. Okay, is everyone on the same page? This is our framework. So then the question is, should the exclusivity and the absolutism of Christianity give us reason to doubt its claims? In other words, should you today reject Jesus because Jesus is making an exclusive, absolute claim about himself? Before we go on a journey to answer this question, I want to point out something very obvious. I have a microphone. Everyone sees it? It's not that invisible. I have a microphone. None of you have a microphone. And for the sake of your neighbor, I'm not giving any one of you a microphone today. Okay, this is not a live poll audience. Okay, what do you have to share with us? We're going to go to the next question in the back. We're not going to do that. And I can understand then why you might say, well, this isn't very fair because all you're doing is sharing your worldview without allowing us to have a conversation about this. All right? So we set up an email, doubt at blazechurch.org, where you can email, and that's going to go directly to me, so then we can actually have conversation about that. Just email doubt at blazechurch.org and then I'll respond and we'll get some coffee if we need to because I'd rather you know that you have a way to talk with me than for the remainder of our message, you debate me in your head and every time you win, because that's how it works in your head. That's how it works in my head too, only I win. So let's actually have conversation about this, but I just think now is a good time for us to just listen and we're going to really just look at a story from Scripture, which I know right there you're saying, yeah, but that's circular reasoning. You're using your text to prove your point. Okay, so let's for this moment just refer to it as we're going to read about a historical moment with Paul, a man who everyone val validates existed, like on all scholarly levels, in Athens, a place that everyone validates existed, and just read about his day. Okay, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to read what Paul did in the first century Athens so that we can discover what he shared. We're going to listen to him. And the reason why that's going to be so hard for us today is because we, at some point, lost the art of listening. Right? I don't have to convince you of that. In fact, if I can for just a moment, if I'm your pastor, 
if, if this is your church or even if you're a Christ follower and you want to hear from a spiritual leader, can I just encourage you, those of you who are Christ followers, with scripture that says we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. And what saddens my heart as I look out, I see so many who are saying their identity is in Jesus, but are trying to prove that their identity is in petty issues. Mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine, red, blue. Like, guys, and when we do that, we're not listening to the other side. We're just throwing out our opinion and sharing our view and sharing our articles, and we're not listening. And so one of the hardest things that's, that's going to be for us this morning is as we read the worldview of someone who believed in Jesus, you're going to have to really lean in and just listen to what he has to share. And I believe that the church would have such greater influence with people who don't know God if we would listen a whole lot more and talk a whole lot less, because that's just Scripture. And when it comes time to just point people to Jesus, I want people to be known. I want people to know me for who I know, not what I believe about certain issues that are trending right now. Because there was different issues trending last year, and there'll be other issues trending next year, and yet Scripture says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if I'm going to live for someone, or if I'm going to share about something, or post about something, you better believe it's going to be the unchanging God who loves humanity and has a plan. His name is Jesus to save all of us. Right? That's good news worth worshiping for. So this is going to be hard for us. Because the second you hear what Paul has to say, I'm just giving him a big setup, you are going to want to cancel Paul. You're going to want to cancel him when you hear what he has to say. You, you are, I am. Let's listen. Let's just listen to what he has to say. So here's what it says in Acts 17, 16. When Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of, say this word with me, idols. Okay, remember that word. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but, say this word, talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So we have idols, and we're just going to call that debates. Got idols and debates. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very, last word, religious. Here we got idols, debates, and religion. In the first century, Paul in Athens. Let me describe some of these words for you. Idols. We shared last month that an idol really isn't just a statue. It's not just a figure. It's not just a painting or something we see. An idol is anything that takes the place of God in our lives. It's, it's something other than Jesus that we look to for worship, for worth, for validation. And Paul actually looks around Athens and he can see statues, idols, Greek gods, Roman gods. Remember, this is the first century polytheism in a Roman world where they're coming out of all of this Greco-Roman religion. And he looks around and says, I can see this whole city's filled with idols. Or, let's say it this way, I can see this whole city is filled with opportunities to believe with different belief systems, with various paths, all leading somewhere. And then he says, and I also notice about the, uh, the Athenians is, man, they love talking and listening. They just, uh, and I picture them in that moment, just pinky out, teacup in hand, British accent, and just, hmm, what do you think about the world? What, what is the meaning of life? What, 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 do we, what do we think? Why are we here? And, and what, what's our existence for? And, 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 and just reasoning together, just being intellectual and being smart and saying maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And notice he says that they're very religious. Now, I always find it funny when I invite somebody to come and be, be with me at church, 
And I don't know if you've heard this response before, but often I'll hear them say back to me, no, I can't go there because I'm not very what? Yes. And then what I love saying back to them is, hey, don't worry, I'm not religious either, and they let me pastor the church. And then they usually do that. Well, you just say, they just laugh a little bit. I'm like, I think we're working with a different definition here of what religion is and what life's about. Now, Paul notices they're very religious, meaning they are very devout to whatever belief system they've adopted. They are very strict to that sect, to that code. He can just see it. He can see the sacrifices that are taking place. He can see the way that they're living. He can see their beliefs. He can see their, their reasoning and their speech of existence and creation and eternity. He can see it. And he says, you're, all, you're very religious. And I don't think he's being demeaning. I think he's just validating what he sees. He's just doing what I'm doing now. I'm just looking out at the world and saying, here's the worldview. There's lots of paths, idols. There's room for debate. A lot more talking than there is listening in our culture. And there's, there's an adoption of religion. If I do this, then maybe I'll land where I want to land. And so what does Paul say to all of that? Here's what he says. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. And then he says this. So you are, say this word with me. That'll get you canceled. He says, so you are ignorant. No, no, Paul, we're inclusive. We're not ignorant. Come on, Paul, what's wrong with us in Athens? We're just trying to include everybody. In fact, we are so inclusive, we don't want to offend anyone, that we actually set up a God statue to an unknown God just in case someone comes to Athens and says, I don't believe in Zeus, I don't believe in Apollo, I believe in this one. Don't worry, we got you covered. Unknown God, right over here, we'll escort you. It seems so right. It seems so good. We're just trying to be tolerant. We're not trying to isolate anybody. And Paul says, you're not inclusive. You're ignorant. But don't worry. I'm going to proclaim to you the truth. Like Paul just rolls in on the white horse. It's like, don't worry, Paul's here. Can you, can you imagine how offensive that moment was for everyone who was there? That Paul says, I've got the truth. Exactly what we started. Don't worry, I have it. You've been trying to figure it out, but I've got it. Now I'm going to share it. It's exclusive and it's absolute. And Paul has the attention of the Athens people. You know, Athens seemed so loving. They seemed so inclusive. And Paul on the surface seemed so arrogant, so, so intolerant, so hateful, so narrow-minded. And my question for us is this. Who is more loving in this moment? Who is it? The, the Athens are saying, we accept everybody. We don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want anyone feeling left out. Come on, every religion is equal. And Paul's saying, no, there's one. And think about that question, who's more loving? And I'll tell you, the answer to that question is going to be personally formed based on your worldview today. I'm going to share with you what I believe at the end. But just letting it rest there. Who is more loving? An inclusive society that says everybody gets in, no way is better than the other, or exclusive absolute truth that says, no, there's actually only one way. Who is more loving? Now, before we cancel Paul, let's listen to his words. So here's what he says. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by, I need you to say these two words with me, human hands. I want you to remember that. So Paul starts off, and what he says is, there is a creator God 
You are not here by chance. You are not an accident. You are not just a collection of molecules. Paul is actually going beyond that and saying, no, there's a creator. There's a designer. There is God. He created the world, the heavens, everything in it. And notice he says he does not live in temples built by human hands. What's so interesting is Paul is saying this while he's near the Parthenon, one of the largest temple structures of the first century, dedicated to a god. And he says, your God may exist in that temple, but my God is so big and so powerful, he cannot exist in a temple made by human hands. And church, can I tell you that this week as I was studying this, I was so encouraged knowing that our square footage was going to be a little bit smaller. We'll say a little bit, but it's not really a little bit. It was a little, I'm not salty at all, I promise. It was a little bit smaller this week. And I said, you know what, God, how awesome is it that you do not exist in a temple built by human hands? As I don't care the size of the room, I know about the size of my God. I know that my God is bigger, my God is greater, and my God constantly has things in control. And even if we could fashion the biggest building that the East End could ever see, it still wouldn't be enough to, to fit our God. He's bigger. And Paul goes, I still want to do it, but he's bigger. And Paul goes, a temple can't hold him. A temple might hold your God, but he can't hold mine. But think about it. What is a temple? A temple is a place where religion is practiced, where rules are taught and enforced, where you go to say the prayers, where you go to, to give, where you go to serve, where you do some religious activity. And notice he's saying the God I serve doesn't require that. He's not contingent upon a temple built by human hands. Do you know that when Jesus died, one of the signifying marks of his death was that the veil between the place where God's presence was and the outer courts was torn in two, signifying what Paul says in Corinthians, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God is not confined to a singular location, but rather we practice our Christianity, if I can use that phrase, or we worship our God because the Spirit of God is with the people of God wherever they go. And so you can move us from there to here or somewhere else, but God's presence goes with God's people. And Paul's telling the people of Athens, it's not about a temple. And then he starts talking about them. He says, he is not served by, say the two words with me again, human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. What Paul does is he takes a shot at humanity's autonomy. Autonomy simply means I have the right to govern my life. I can do what I want with my hands. It's my right. You can't tell me what's right. You can't tell me what's true. I can do it. I sustain me. It's my greatness. It's my job. It's my intellect. And Paul says, you don't understand. Your human hands, they can't serve God and they can't sustain your own life. What Paul is saying is that we are recipients of life from a giving God, not authors and creators of life. We are the created, he is the creator. That pushes against the narrative of Athens and the narrative of our day. Because we might say, hold on, but I worked hard for this. I went to school and got the degree. I got the job, I got the promotion. I put in the time. You don't understand, man, I could fix the computer like that. Okay, here's what Paul says next. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Do you hear what Paul is saying? He's saying, okay, you got the degree. You understand computers. You know finances. That's cute. Let's drop you in the 6th century BC when Babylon just becomes the ruling empire and see how good your computer science skills do there. 
That, that's what he's saying. He's getting to the heart of it, that while we can try to accomplish so much, we did nothing to determine that we would be born in this time and in this hemisphere in the world. We did nothing this morning to tell our lungs, take in air, now release. Take in air, now release. That'd be a boring life if that's all you had to do all day. We do nothing to sustain our own lives, Paul says. God is the creator and God is the sustainer. Now the question we should be asking is why? We've gone through a lot of what's. What God did, the plans that God has for humanity, what we can accomplish or can't accomplish through our hands. But the question is why? Why did God do this? And here we get to the heart of the Christian message. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps, can you say these two words with me nice and loud? Reach out. I'll say it again. Reach out. That perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. Paul says the reason why God is creator and the reason why you were created in the time that we were created, can I make it personal? The reason why you're here April 11, 2021 in this space or worshiping online is so that perhaps you might reach out to the God who exists. That's the purpose. That's the meaning. We say you were created on purpose for a purpose and your singular primary purpose from which all purposes flow is that perhaps you would reach out to the God who made you, the God who loves you, the God who has a plan for you. Guys, your worldview and your narrative is being shaped right now by something. Every belief is exclusive. Whatever you've grabbed onto, you believe it's true for you because you believe it's true for you. Just think about that. You accept that as your truth and you've come to accept it. And so the Christian message, the message of Jesus is I am the truth, I am the way, I am the life, and I am here so that you might reach out in your discovering, in your exploring, in your learning, in your looking for faith or religion or beliefs, perhaps reach out to God, the God. Did Jesus make an exclusive and absolute truth when he said, I am the way? The answer to that is yes. And I'm not going to stand up here and try to defend Jesus because truthfully, he does not need my help in that department. I don't have to try to explain, no, no, if you open up, forget the Greek, let's go to like Aramaic and it's not really the, it's a, and that's it. It's none of that, all right? Jesus made a very exclusive statement. He said, I am the truth. I am the way. He did. But here's my question. Did Jesus do something exclusively that no one else has ever done for you and no founder of ever, any other religion has ever taught and no one else has ever done? The answer to that is also yes. Because God did not send a man to teach us the way to heaven. He sent Jesus who said, I am the way. And the message of Christianity summed up in one verse is this, 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Notice that. It's to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. Let me show you how powerful this entire verse is here. This is the heart of Christianity. This is the gospel message. Notice it says Christ also suffered how many times? Once for sins. We need to understand something. Sin is any time we break God's command and inevitably hurt God, hurt others, or hurt ourselves. And sin comes prepackaged with death. 
And you know that's true even if you don't believe in Jesus today because anytime you or someone you know has embraced selfishness, they've made their life more about them, the people and the things around them start to die, don't they? Think about it. In a marriage, when one spouse says, I'm going to focus more on me than honoring you, that marriage starts to suffer. When someone says, I'm going to live for me at the company, that starts, it just goes on. And God says that's sin and it leads to death. And ultimately, it's an offense against a righteous God. Religion will say, in order to atone for your sin, you need to repeatedly, repeatedly make penance, atone for it. The gospel says Christ suffered how many times? Once. In other words, Jesus was the final perfect payment for our sin, not so that we can work harder to be forgiven, but so that the unrighteous would find righteousness in the righteous one. Not to teach us a way to get to God, but to literally bring us to him. Are you seeing the heart of the Christian message, the gospel? Is it exclusive in its claim? Yes, because it's exclusive in what it says. There is nothing else like it. It's a message of grace. It is God doing what we needed him to do for us even before we called on him to do it. Paul says while we were still sinners, God sent his son to this world to die. And our our founder of our, if I could say it, religion, although it's way more like a relationship and a friendship, our founder did not stay dead in the grave. He was made alive by the Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives inside believers. And we have authority and we have power. That's the heart of Christianity. Is it exclusive? Yes. And I'm thankful for that. Because while I look around other places, I will find nothing like the message of Jesus. So let me ask you a weird question. How are your hands? I what you're thinking. Well, we're coming out of winter. They're getting a little softer now. I'm moisturized all through February, getting rid of the cracks. Okay, let's go deeper than that. Let's talk kind of just emotionally or spiritually or, or just symbolically. If you're living for a religion, I can guarantee that your hands are very calloused from all that hard work. But they hurt. Because religion continues to tell you, you don't know if you're good enough. If you're living for moralism and all you're doing is constantly comparing your good deeds with your hands to the good deeds of another person, they're calloused. If you're trying to grip on to relativism that says, I'm, I got the cap off. That would have been bad if I squeezed that. Joe would have been mad at me. That I just gonna, I'm just going to squeeze. I'm going to hold on to my truth. You can't tell me my truth is not my truth. And anytime you come against, I'm going to squeeze a little bit harder. Your grip strength is probably starting to let up. Because it takes a whole lot of work to hold on your personal truth over and over every single day. We kept saying that phrase, human hands, human hands. Perhaps today with your human hands, you would reach out to the one whose hands were wounded. Perhaps today you would reach out and say, I've explored so many things, all in the name of inclusion. I just never wanted to be narrow-minded, and I, and I, I wanted to be seen as tolerant, but my hands hurt. Where do I go? You come to the God who's inviting you to come to him today. And I want to read to you the words of Jesus. And as I read this, may you respond to his words. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. 
I'll show you how to take a real rest. How many would say, I need a real rest in Jesus today? He says, come to me. He says, walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. If there was a phrase for us to repeat every day, that's a good one. The unforced rhythms of grace. That God's rhythms of grace for us are a gift. They are not forced upon us. And perhaps we would reach out and say, I want to receive that today. He says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. You'll learn to live freely and lightly. These are the words of Jesus. The same one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, and by the way, come to me. Come to me. You are invited. You know what's so interesting is while Christianity is labeled exclusive in its beliefs, it is so inclusive that every single person is invited to know Jesus. Come on, that, that's the truth of the gospel message. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your economic status. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you will do. Every person is invited to know him. It's all inclusive. It says, come, come to him. I asked the question earlier, who's more loving, Paul who shows up and says you're ignorant, or the people of Athens who say, no, everyone's accepted, everyone gets in. And, and I want to share with you what, what I believe based on my worldview. I believe in Jesus. He's the Lord of my life. He's my Savior. His word is absolute truth. And anytime I bump against something that I don't like, I say, the author's right, I'm wrong. I need to figure this out. <laughs> I, I, gotta, I gotta adopt your truth here, God. So that's my, that's my worldview. That's my truth. So when I look at Paul showing up, and saying, here is the way, and the people of Athens saying, no, no, any way works. I visualize it like this. Scripture says that apart from God, the wages of sin is death. And if I can use an analogy with you this morning, which I know doesn't hold too much weight. Analogies can fall apart at times. I just picture that apart from Christ, I am on a sinking ship. I'm going down. I'm drowning in a sea of sin and apart from God. Yet Jesus comes as the true lifeboat, says, here I am. Like, perhaps reach out. Like, I did everything to come and rescue you. You didn't even have to ask me to come out into these waters. I did it. Let's talk about love. How loving would it be for me, if that's my worldview, to look at others jumping off a sinking ship just into a lifeboat that's filled with holes at the bottom? A lifeboat that says, if you're religious enough, God will accept you. And I have personally seen people struggle with the guilt and shame that is connected to religion where they never know if they're actually loved by God. Did this bad thing happen to me because I did something? Like, is God upset with me? Maybe I should pray a little bit more or give a little bit more. And you see the ugliness of religion, manipulation from religious leaders, a lifeboat filled with holes, moralism, just be a good person, secularism that says it doesn't matter how you live. In the end, you die and rot in the grave anyway. Do what you want. Guys, my worldview says those are lifeboats with holes in the bottom. And so the loving thing that I can do is not be so concerned that I don't want to offend you, but rather I love you so much, let me share with you the gospel message. Let me share with you Jesus. And as Paul said, perhaps reach out to him today. Perhaps reach out. I love this quote that I read in my time of study. Don't abandon the hunt for truth and hide behind the easy lie that all religions are the same. And if I can encourage you today, especially if you're skeptical to Jesus and, and this doubt is just like the thing that's stopping you from coming, can you not cancel Jesus? Like, I'm not, I'm not saying right now, like, 
just, all right, sign me up for this. Maybe you're still on this journey, but can you not just give up the hunt for truth and just accept such an easy lie that says, you know what, it doesn't matter. I'll just believe whatever. Keep pursuing truth because I believe as you pursue truth, you will find truth and it is not a way of life. It is a person. His name is Jesus. Perhaps today, reach out to him. In fact, I thought about this and I didn't want to make it just kind of words on a page that I was putting together. And I'll share with you guys, like, you challenged me by putting your votes in a certain way. Oh, gearing up for some other topics. And you're all like, no, we're going this way. I'm like, okay, we're going this way. And I listened to a whole lot of stuff this past week. And, I, and I'll tell you, I listened on both sides of the aisle. I listened to, if you're familiar with names like Sam Harris and Dawkins, and I listened to some leading atheists of our day to see, okay, like what's going on here? And I wanted to make this personal. And so what I did was I put a person on the other side of this simple question that we're asking. I didn't want to just make it theory. And so I have friends that don't know God, that don't understand why I believe in Jesus when there are so many paths. And so I'll give them a name. Let's call him Door. I don't think that's a name yet. Maybe by next week in America, it'll be a name, Door. But I put, put Door on this side of the table and just sat, sat him down and, and said, you know, Keith, how can you believe in Jesus when there are thousands of religions out there? How can you just pick one? And honestly, this is my answer to Door and to others. Perhaps reach out. That's it. If you want something more intellectual and debate-worthy, I just don't have that for you today. I, I really would lean into perhaps reach out. Or in other words, what have you got to lose with your worldview? If your worldview is right, it's not going to be, it's not going to be offended by coming to Jesus for a couple minutes. Perhaps reach out. Like, Perhaps just come to him. You know, I love what one pastor says, Pastor Chris Hodges of Church of the Highlands. He continues to say, give us one year of your life. Go all in with Jesus for one year. Serve, give, attend services, pray, read, give one year of your life. And at the end of that year, if you're not changed and if you don't believe that he is the way, you really didn't lose anything except the year. And you probably got some good church coffee in the process anyway. So just, just try Jesus. Is he exclusive? Yes. But I don't know that that's a reason that we should dismiss him. I think it's a reason we should say, why? Why is your message so different? Reach out. And that's what we're going to do this morning as we sing this song. So the worship team will join me. And we're going to sing a song that has a line in it that says, I will preach to my doubts. Because what I've found is that too often we will doubt everything around us except for actually doubting our doubts. Think about that. We will be quick as a society to cancel and to say that can't be true. I don't agree with that. That's not valid. And we will doubt everything around us, and yet we will never for a moment say, maybe I should doubt my doubts. Maybe my doubts are the issue here. And so this morning, perhaps reach out. As we sing this song, perhaps reach out to God and say, God, you know, I, I want to know you. I want to continue this hunt for truth. I want to know who this Jesus is that made such an exclusive claim that no one has ever made before. Why? Why, why is the Christian message this way? You know, that's exactly what the early church did. And in the first century, they demonstrated how different they were to a Greco-Roman world. Before Christianity got its footing, there was no rights given to women or children. It was the church that started to do that. There was no one who was caring for those who were sick. Hospitals were started by Christians. 
who it's reported in the second and third century went so far as to get sick themselves in order to care for people they didn't even know. Why? Because their founder laid down his life for them. Because he died for them. So I invite you, as Jesus did, come, find rest in him today. I want to ask you to stand with me. We're going to sing. We're going to praise God. Before we do, I want to give you an opportunity to know him if he is not the Lord and Savior of your life. If right now your worldview is shaped by another system, maybe you've created it, maybe it's another religious practice, whatever it might be, if it's not Christ, I want you to know that you are invited today to reach out to God. And perhaps April 11, 2021 is the day where you respond and say, Jesus, I want to put my faith in you. You've heard the gospel that apart from God, we are sinners, but because of the work of the righteous one, those who were unrighteous are now adopted children of God. It's a new identity. We are new creations. And so we're going to pray in this moment. And as we do, if you want to know him, I encourage you to pray this prayer. And then our welcome team is going to be around and they're going to have a, a little booklet to give you. And so if you want to know now what, just raise your hand after our prayer is done and they'll come by and they'll put that book right into your hands. So would you bow your heads with me right now as we pray? And let's just say this together. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died and rose again so I could be forgiven. Thank you for new life. Today, I give you mine. Thank you for making me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And scripture says that when one person comes to know God, all of heaven rejoices. So church, let's rejoice with some angels right now who are saying there's someone new, someone's born again. And if you just made that decision, Go ahead and raise your hand like this. Our welcome team's walking around. They have a book they want to give you. And guys, with everything we have, let's sing out this last song together, saying, I'm holding on to faith that I'm going to preach to my doubts that God is faithful. Come on, do you believe that today? We serve a faithful God. Let's sing out to him this morning.